Psalm number 28. We're going to read the whole psalm. And as we read, we remember this is God's word. A psalm of David. To you I will cry, O Lord, my rock. Do not be silent to me. Lest if you are silent to me, I become like those who go down to the pit. Hear the voice of my supplications when I cry to you, when I lift up my hands toward your holy sanctuary. Do not take me away with the wicked and with the workers of iniquity who speak peace to their neighbours, but evil is in their hearts. Give them according to their deeds and according to the wickedness of their endeavours. Give them according to the work of their hands. Render to them what they deserve. Because they do not regard the works of the Lord, nor the operation of his hands. He shall destroy them and not build them up. Blessed be the Lord. Because he has heard the voice of my supplications. The Lord is my strength and my shield. My heart trusted in him and I am helped. Therefore my heart greatly rejoices. And with my song I will praise him. The Lord is their strength. And he is the saving refuge of his anointed. Save your people. And bless your inheritance. Shepherd them also and bear them up forever. Amen. We thank God that he blesses us when we read his word. And before we come to think about this psalm together, let's pray and ask for God's help. Our gracious God, you have been so good in giving us your word. We thank you for it. And we pray that you would help us today to understand your word, to understand what it is you're teaching us. We confess that we are not able to do that by ourselves, but we need the power of your Holy Spirit. And so we ask for that illumination in our hearts today. In Jesus' name, amen. There was a Puritan called Thomas Goodwin who once said this. He said, before the face of God, there stand only two men, Adam and Jesus Christ. All others hang before God by their girdle strings. Girdle is an old fashioned word for belt. It kind of means like a tool belt. Can you see that picture? God only really sees two men. There is Adam and there is Christ. These two giants. And from God's perspective, all other human beings are either in Adam or they are in Christ. In that picture, the idea of covenant is very clear. We've spoken about covenant before. But I think it might be helpful for us today to to tease it out a little bit. Because this psalm, Psalm 28, is a covenant psalm. It's a psalm of David. 
And here David is very much acting as the covenant king of God's covenant people. And so we can't truly understand this psalm without first understanding covenant. One book I would recommend on the topic is this book, Reading the Lost Ark. Terrible title, terrible cover, very good book. It's by an English Presbyterian minister called Jaunty Rhodes. Some of you will have heard of Jaunty before. The covenant is a really key way to understand the whole Bible. And it basically comes down to this idea that God deals with his people by making them a promise. He will be their God and they will be his people. And Jaunty in the book points out that all the Sunday school favourites, Adam and Eve, Noah and his ark, Abraham, Moses, David... All of these stories centre on the unfolding of God's covenant through time. And in the opening to the book, Jaunty lands on this definition of covenant. He says a covenant is an agreement between God and human beings where God promises blessings if the conditions are kept and threatens curses if the conditions are broken. So let's come back to Thomas Goodwin and those two giants. And we'll start with Adam. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And he placed Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. And in the garden, he made a covenant with Adam. This covenant has been referred to as the covenant of works. God made a promise to Adam. If Adam kept the conditions of the covenant not to eat the fruit, he would be blessed. And not only Adam would be blessed, but all who followed after him. Adam could be called the covenant head. If he kept the conditions, all people would be blessed through him. Like a footballer taking a a penalty kick in the World Cup final. If he scores... The whole country win. But we know what happened with Adam, don't we? He failed to keep the conditions. He allowed the serpent into the garden. He didn't expel the evil, but rather allowed his wife to be deceived. And then Adam, in turn, himself was deceived. And he ate of the fruit. And so he brought the curses of the covenant upon himself. And upon all those who have him as their covenant head. That's all human beings. And so you and I are guilty of sin and we are headed for the grave because we are born in the line of Adam. All people are born with Adam as their covenant head. So you can see this picture coming to life. The the picture of Thomas Goodwin. When God looks down on human beings, he sees Adam. He sees the covenant head who who failed to keep the conditions of the covenant of works. And he brought curses, guilt, grime and grave upon his people. And if the Bible ended there, it would be an entirely fair and just book. But it would not provide any hope. We know it doesn't end there. And even in the curses that God speaks out upon Adam and Eve and the serpent, there is hope. There is the promise of a rescuer. The seed of the woman who will come to crush the head 
of the serpent, God promises another champion, another covenant head. And so we fast forward to a man named Abraham. Abraham was not the promised seed of the woman, but he is very significant. Because it's with Abraham that God makes a new covenant. We call this the covenant of grace. In this covenant, there are conditions, blessings and curses, just like the covenant of works. But this time, God says that he himself will take the curses if his people do not keep the conditions. God will bear the punishment. He will take the curse. And so I hope that you can see how this points us to Jesus. The eternal son of God, God incarnate, come in the flesh to die for the sins of his people, to bear the curse for those who have broken the conditions of the covenant. And so again, you you can see this picture, these two giants with all other people hanging from their belts. Either you're in Adam, living by the covenant of works, trying to keep the conditions, failing to do so, and being cursed to guilt, grime and grave. Or you're in Christ. You have entered into the covenant of grace. And the conditions have been kept for you by Jesus through his perfect life. And the the curse has been removed from you because God himself in Jesus died upon the cross for your sin. So when God looks down upon humanity, he sees two men. And there is each one of us. And we are hanging by the belt of one or the other. Either you're in Adam under the curse of the covenant of works. Or you're in Christ, trusting in him alone for your salvation, receiving his righteousness as your own. And it's with this framework in mind that we must read Psalm 28. In fact, I think that framework might totally change the way you read and understand the whole Bible. Covenant is a key concept. And like I say, this this book will really help you grasp it. I think it could be revolutionary for some of us in how we click with what the Bible is saying. And so Psalm 28, the clear teaching of this psalm, and I do have it open in front of you, the clear teaching of this psalm is that those who are in the covenant of grace, those who are in Christ, are blessed. And those who are outside are cursed. Verses 1 to 5 are all about the curses of being outside of God's people. And hear me say this, albeit gently, if you are not trusting in Christ, then the curses of this psalm are for you. David begins the psalm by proclaiming that God is his rock. The idea of a rock is that it is firm and secure, steadfast, regardless of circumstances. The wind and the waves come and go, but the rock stands firm. However, you can see what David is asking for from his rock. Do not be silent to me, 
says David. Lest if you are silent to me, I become like those who go down to the pit. One of the curses of not trusting in Christ is that God is silent when you ask him for help. David does not want God to be like that. He describes the state of those who are in opposition to God as being the ones who go down to the pit. That's another word in the Psalms often used as Sheol, the place of the grave. In other words, God's silence is as good as death to David. The commentator Dale Ralph Davies pictures this as as going to an all-night diner and there's no one there to take your order. Just imagine driving up to McDonald's late at night. You're craving those fries and a Big Mac. Nothing else will satisfy. And don't tell me that I'm the only person who thinks this way. But you get to McDonald's and the lights are off. There's no one there. All you're met with is silence. The drive through speaker, there's nothing coming back to you. And you're left to deal with your hunger on your own. I think we could put things more starkly. Imagine a baby. A tiny, helpless baby. And all she can do is cry out in hunger. But her cries are met with silence. Isn't that death for the child? David says that's how it is for those who do not trust in Christ. When a time of emergency comes, when you feel the need to call out, God is silent. This is a curse, a curse indeed for those who will not put their faith in Christ and enter into his covenant. They have ignored God, disbelieved in him and blasphemed against him in their unbelief. And so when they go down to the pit, into the grave, it'll be too late. God will be silent to their cries. Friends, please hear me say this with urgency today. It is not too late for any one of you. Don't leave it another moment. Because if you cry out to God in faith, if you cry through Jesus, trusting in him that God will answer your prayer, God will hear your prayer and God will answer it. Don't leave it a moment longer to call out to God and put your trust in Christ. One day it will be too late. God will be silent when you call. David's plea is based on the fact that he is in the covenant of grace. He has trusted in God and knows that God will hear his prayer. That's why he asks in verse 3, not to be taken away with the wicked. You can see what he says their life is like. They are people who speak peace to their neighbours, but evil is in their hearts at the same time. This is another curse of being outside Christ. Being double-minded. Saying one thing while you mean another. Pretending to be nice to people when secretly you long for their downfall. This is tough. It it might be tough to hear. It it might be a little close to home. I know this is an area for me where sin clings closely to my flesh. I have to battle with this. 
You can see what it deserves apart from the grace of God in Christ. The curse of being outside Christ is that you get what you deserve. Look at verse 4. Give them according to their deeds. According to the wickedness of their endeavours. Give them according to the work of their hands. Render to them what they deserve. David is crying out for justice. And justice is getting what we deserve. Aside from the grace of God, this is where we all stand. Cursed to receive the punishment of our sin. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And the wages of sin is death. Wages are something that you deserve. This psalm is clear that God will give people what they deserve. I think this throws the notion of being good enough for God into the water. You you can't be good enough. All of our righteous acts are like filthy rags before God. And so our only hope in life and in death is that we do not rely on our works. But instead we rely on Christ as our champion. Submit ourselves to him. Proclaim in your heart that you are not your own, that you belong in body and soul to your faithful Saviour, Jesus Christ. Outside of Jesus, there are only curses. I hope you see the, the fairness and unfairness in all of this. We all deserve punishment for our deeds. We all deserve the the curse of our sin and wickedness. What David prays for here is absolute fairness. That God would deal with people according to their works. And that those who do not regard the works of the Lord are not regarded by the Lord himself. Those who refuse to trust in the cross of Christ deserve the punishment and curses that come upon them. Friends, today... You're without excuse because you've heard of the works of the Lord. You've heard how Jesus died to save you. If you continue to disregard that, then you shall not be built up by God. And you shouldn't expect to be built up by God. You will be destroyed. That is what's fair. That is what's just and right of God. The unfairness comes in verses 6 to 9. It is unfair that God pours out forgiveness and mercy and grace upon anyone other than Jesus. But in his grace he does so when we trust in Christ as our covenant head. That we move from the covenant of works, the covenant of works which we cannot keep, into the covenant of grace, which has been kept for us. We look then at the blessings of being in Christ, verses six to nine. The first blessing is that we can praise God. Do you see verse six? David just bursts out, blessed be the Lord. David is not like the wicked who go down to the pit. He has been rescued He has been redeemed by the Messiah, the Holy One, the one we sang about a few moments ago. 
David burst out in praise and so can we. Thank you, O my Father, for giving us your Son. In the Son, in Jesus, our voices of praise are heard by God. More than that, our supplications are heard, our cries for help are heard, our prayers for ourselves and for others are heard. You see the contrast, David eventually says, he has heard the voice of my supplications. I think one of the big differences between those who are in Jesus and those who are in Adam comes down to this word, help. You see, those who are in Adam are too proud to put their trust in Christ. They believe they can help themselves. They don't think they need the help of Jesus. They think they are good enough on their own. Look at what David says in verse 7. The Lord is my strength and my shield. My heart trusted in him, and I am helped. People, there are people who think they can get through life without Jesus. People who are arrogant enough to say, I don't need any help. I can do this on my own. Well, those people deserve what they get in going down to the pit in silence. God's word to you today is saying, don't be like them. Be humble. Humble yourself. Proclaim that the Lord is your help. Say to the the Lord, you are my strength and my shield. Realize that you can't change your own heart any more than you can change the weather. My heart is... Sinful and wicked by birth. But I have trusted in Christ to remove the heart of stone and replace it with a heart of flesh. My heart trusted in him and I am helped. Therefore, says David, my heart greatly rejoices and with my song I shall praise him. We praise God out of gratitude. Like a a man who raises money for the air ambulance because he once needed their help. Like a a hiker who is clinging for his life on the side of Ben Nevis, helpless, being airlifted to safety. And what does he do? He tells his story to everyone who will listen about how he was rescued. And so he gives thanks to those who gave him back his life. The psalm closes with this picture in verses 8 and 9. Just as in this psalm, David is acting as the covenant king, praying on behalf of all the people, lifting them up in prayer before God. So he closes with this great picture of the shepherd king. The shepherd bearing up his people, carrying them on his shoulders. And that's how it is for God's people today. The Bible tells us that Jesus, our covenant king, constantly makes intercession for his people. Even throughout this whole service today, 
As we've been drifting in and out, Jesus has been praying for us before the Father. (coughs) Praying for our safety, for our contentment, praying for our guidance and our protection. Just as a, a shepherd carries a lamb over his shoulders, when you trust in Jesus, he takes your full weight upon himself. All of your faults, all of your feelings, and he bears those to the cross. And even now, he carries you on through this life and forever. What a blessing. What a blessing to be carried by Christ. And so we come back to that initial picture, those two giants. Those clinging on to Adam's belt are cursed, and rightly so. Maybe the initial picture is wrong. Because there are those who cling to Adam. But those who are in Christ are not clinging on. We are carried by him. We are saved, blessed and shepherded. And carried over his shoulders forever and ever. Let me pray for us.